All right, let's take our Bibles again and turn to the seventh chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter number seven, and we'll be beginning in verse number 15 tonight, Matthew chapter seven, beginning in verse number 15, and we will, as we begin, we'll just look at that very first verse, uh, we'll show us our subject, and we'll begin on our journey through this text. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15, verse number 15 reads this way. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Beware of false prophets. In these two introductory verses to this section, in verses 15 and 16, and really running all the way to the end of the chapter, our Lord begins to bring this Sermon on the Mount to a conclusion. And much is His custom. He is going to bring it together with one great principle and one great message. Remember last week we looked at the emphasis on entering in at the straight gate. The contrast and the comparison between the wide gate and the straight gate. And we saw that how there's an emphasis on entering in, of course, in at the straight gate. And of course, with that entrance into the straight gate or that narrow way, that way that is pent up as we learned, we also realize that on that road, it is going to be uh, filled with obstacles and dangers. In other words, just because we are on that straight gate or have gone through that straight gate and are now on that narrow way does not mean that we can drop our guard and not be aware. Uh, the word beware in Scripture, uh, it is a powerful word. It is a word that indicates that we should sit up, we should take notice, we should be very much uh, diligent to understand what is being said. Anytime we see beware, we really do need to truly live out the word, which is to beware. Uh, so the Lord is going to demonstrate two particular and special dangers that will confront even the individual who is on that narrow way. He indicates that there are false prophets. And he teaches through this section how to recognize those false prophets. He gives us the insight as to how will you know what a false prophet is? What will that false prophet say? What will that false prophet, prophet look like? And once we've recognized that false prophet, how do we deal with them? Uh, there is uh, not many things more dangerous than the reality of a false prophet. And Jesus, as we get to the conclusion of this chapter in the next week or so, he concludes the sermon by putting the entire sermon into one plain statement. And he uses illustrations by picturing two houses, one house that's built upon a rock and another house that is built upon the sand. And really what the warning and the ending, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is, is a warning about a coming judgment. And that within that coming judgment, we should be on, on aware, on, a, on alert rather, for false prophets and for false professors. Of course, when we think about a false prophet, 
Originally in Scripture, when we see the prophet, especially in the Old Testament, a prophet would originally was a word that would have only indicated a person who foretold future events. In other words, a prophet was one who only talked about the future. They preached about, they told what was going to happen in the coming years, what to be looking forward to. Um, however, as time went on, and we began, of course, to get the copies of the scriptures, uh, we understand that prophets now uh, also would incorporate or would include people who are public instructors, people who would be teachers of religion. And so the false prophet here uh, is an indication of not just people who foretell the future, but people who were religious teachers. I believe there's no doubt in the context here that Jesus does have in mind that the Pharisees probably fell into that category in many ways of being false prophets. And yet with this false prophet, uh, we understand that the, the prophets were given, uh, God-given prophets were given to aid and to guide, yet Jesus warns about those who would not be there to guide, but would be there to destroy. So uh, in this sense, a false prophet, we could define them this way. A false prophet is someone who is a teacher of incorrect, or we might even be use a stronger word, corrupt doctrine. A false prophet is an instructor or a teacher of corrupt, incorrect doctrine. But the other aspect of a false prophet may also include a person who falsely and unauthoritatively lays claim to being under divine inspiration. In other words, a false prophet will come and will not only teach false doctrine, but will claim to be a messenger of God. In other words, the false prophet will still speak and will still say, I am sent by God. And if a prophet was sent by God, they were saying that I am giving the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. That's one of the great warnings is these prophets will come and they will say they are under the authority of God. So a false prophet, again, teaches incorrect doctrine, but also lays claim to a divine inspiration. Uh, there's probably no question here that Jesus was referencing uh, within that inclusion there of the false teachers that were among the Jews. I think contextually uh, that would be accurate. But notice he says how you can identify them. He says who come or which come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, of course, the sheep throughout Scripture, we see it being used to describe those who are God's people. But we also see sheep to indicate uh, a type of an emblem of harmlessness or an emblem of something that uh, maybe in a sense is innocent, uh, something that doesn't seem to be dangerous. Um, but it says that they come to you in sheep's clothing which is important because that tells us that this is not, in fact, a sheep. This is someone who's coming in sheep's clothing. They are coming with an assumed identity that is going to look like that which is harmless, that which is pure, that which is of God, especially when you take that together with the false prophet laying claim to some divine inspiration. But notice that underneath those sheep's clothing, they are described as inwardly, they are ravening wolves. Uh, they are wolves that desire to devour. 
Um, wolves, especially in a pack of them, if you're familiar with them, uh, once they start that attack, uh, they are voracious, they are unrelenting, they will not stop, and whatever the prey is, uh, they will almost display uh, what we would describe as nothing less than absolute rage. Uh, that's what the wolf will do. So when we apply this to a false teacher, what is that telling us? That tells us that they are going to assume the appearance of holiness. They're going to assume the appearance of righteousness. They're going to claim inspiration in order to gain access to the people. They're going to be deceptive. Now, Jesus, of course, dealt with them on a number of occasions, and he dealt with the Pharisees in numerous ways. But one of the ways that he described the Pharisees and the scribes, in Matthew 23, 25, he called them, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Even Jesus knew the game. Jesus knew what the Pharisees and scribes were about. They would appear outwardly holy, outwardly righteous on the outside, but inside the cup was dirty. They were filled with extortion and excess. These false prophets would come in looking like sheep, but they would actually be wolves who are there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to devour the people. So we get a description of who they are. But then Jesus specifically says how you can identify them. Verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. This is what's referred to as a testing of character. Fruits are the result of an inward change. Galatians 5 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are direct evidences of Christ being in you, of course, being there through the presence of the Spirit. But Notice what he says here. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So Jesus now enters into a description by using a common uh, nature uh, item, a tree. And he describes this as saying, you will know them by the fruit that they produce. Now, we don't judge a tree uh, based simply on its leaves on its bark, or maybe even the flowers that that tree may produce. How you judge that tree is by the fruit that it bears. In other words, if I was to go and look at an apple tree, and I don't see apples on that tree, but I see a great, I, I see great green on it, it looks like it's healthy, it looks like, but if it's not producing fruit, then I have no way of really to judge that tree at all. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's getting to the fact that you will know them is not by their outward appearance, not by what just appears to be, but you're going to know them by the fruit that they produce. It is the fruit that is the very chief idea that Jesus has in mind here. We judge the value of a tree based upon the fruit it produces. If you sell me an apple tree, I expect within a certain amount of years for that tree to produce apples. If that tree produces something other than apples, I will have been deceived. I will have been deceived by the fact you told me it was an apple tree, but it's actually not. I'm looking for the fruit to judge, in fact, what this is so that I can know it. So this fruit here uh, is, is the idea that this professor of faith 
may say what they are, but the conduct, how it acts, actually determines what it is. Okay? What I, I can say what I am, but my conduct determines what I actually am. That's what Jesus has in mind here. Now he moves into about, about even so, he says, verse 17, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Now the word corrupt here uh, it, it, it does not signify or indicate that the tree at one time was good and then became corrupt. What Jesus is indicating is that this tree was of a useless nature from the very beginning. In other words, it never produced anything beneficial. Some people have gotten the wrong idea that Jesus is talking about somebody who used to produce good fruit and now suddenly becomes a corrupt tree producing bad fruit. But what Jesus had in mind here is these were people and these would be people who never were beneficial. These false prophets are not people who were at one time people who were producing valuable, godlike, Christ-like character. But rather, these are people who have always been corrupt. These false prophets are not going to be people that we once trusted. They're going to be people that from the very beginning, they have never produced any good fruit. They have been corrupt. Uh, even in, the, in the, the, the plant and tree world, there are sometimes you will buy a tree or you will get a plant and that is, it is never right from the beginning. It never produces what it was intended to be. Sometimes you get it home and the thing dies within a week. Even though you did all the things right, it still dies. Yet this corrupt tree was of a useless character to begin with. Notice what he says. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. That right there dispels the whole idea that says this was once a good, fruit, good tree producing good fruit, and now it got corrupted, and now it's producing bad fruit. He says the bad, corrupt tree never, ever, ever produces good fruit. Very important to understand the distinction of what Jesus is saying here. So he then says in verse 19 that every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So Jesus says, here's what you need to realize. There are false prophets who will show up. They'll show up in sheep's clothing, but underneath, they're wolves. You'll be able to identify them by the fruit in which they produce. That's how you'll know them. Now, Jesus, I believe, is, is, is asking, answering a question that he, had he not addressed it, the disciples would have asked him anyway. In other words, Jesus is out ahead of the disciples because if Jesus had just said this, if he had just said verses 15 and 16 and stopped, what would have been the response of the disciples? They would have said, Lord, how do we determine who they are? How will we know them? Jesus already answers the question that they potentially would have asked. He tells them that you can distinguish true prophets or true professors or true teachers from false teachers by the fruit. He said, that's how you're going to know. Jesus doesn't say, man, I want you to go figure this out for yourself. 
No, he tells them, this is what you're going to do. He's instructing them to understand that what they're going to see, you will be able to identify. You'll be able to identify that there are people who God never sent out. But what you're going to know is you will know them by their faithfulness to the message in which they are proclaiming. If they're true teachers, here's what he's saying, if they're true teachers, they are going to live a life that is truly demonstrated by a holy, righteous life, live as examples to the flock, and the fruits of their true doctrine will be at the forefront. Now this tells me a little something about the identity that false prophets for believing people should be easily identifiable. Jesus is not saying you have to have a divine nature to be able to identify a false prophet. What he's saying is, is he's saying you're going to know them by their fruit. He doesn't say you might know them. He said you will know them by the fruit. So when we consider this, is it our responsibility and our obligation to be able to recognize false prophets? I believe that it is. How do we identify a false teacher today? We identify a false teacher first and foremost by the doctrine in which they teach. Listen, if they're teaching false doctrine, don't give them the benefit of the doubt if they are consistently teaching false doctrine. If they are doing something contrary to the word of God, we've got to sit up and take notice. There is this reality that as it is with men, just with trees, good trees bring forth good fruit. Corrupt trees bring forth evil fruit as it is with professors and prophets. If they are truly inspired by God, if they are truly messengers of God, if they are truly teachers of righteousness, then they're going to bring forth good fruit. If they're not those things, then they will bring forth evil fruit. If they do not have God abiding in them, they are never going to bring forth that which is good fruit. What are they going to bring forth instead? They're going to bring forth heresy. They're going to bring forth wickedness. They're going to bring forth error. Now, I truly believe with everything that I am that the Lord actually expects his people to be able to identify false prophets. Now, how are you going to identify false prophets? Yes, by the tree and by the fruit. But what helps us in identifying those is our own knowledge of the scriptures. The Lord doesn't give us this option by saying, you know what, if, if it's interesting to you, I want you to be able to identify false prophets. He's saying, beware of them. And the only way you're going to be able to identify them is by their fruits. And if their fruit is corrupt, it will be corrupt doctrine. We've got to search the scripture. We have to have a knowledge of the scripture. We've, we're supposed to be able to discern truth from false. We should be asking ourselves the question every single time a person teaches, are they teaching proper, correct doctrine? These false teachers will only bring forth that which is corrupt. They're not teaching divine truths. They're teaching their own truths. And by the way, we should never just take every man's word as he states it. What that means is, is you should always study for yourself. 
I don't care how recognizable the man is, you should always study for yourself. Just because a person says something, don't just trust it. Study for yourself and be sure that that individual is in fact teaching proper doctrine. What should our teachers be to us? What should our pastors be to us? They should be helpers of our faith. Now this is important. Not dictators of your faith. Helpers of your faith. In other words, they're not dictating to you to follow them. They're helpers of the faith. And then what may, may appear and has many times has been referred to some of the uh, most sobering verses in Scripture is verses 21, 22, and 23. In the same context of these false prophets, Jesus introduces this phrase, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus is very clearly identifying here by saying that there are many people who simply based on the grounds alone of a mere verbal profession of faith are going to claim that they have admittance to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says exactly the opposite. He says, not everyone who claims admittance into my kingdom is going to gain entrance into my kingdom. Many people, he says, he goes on, many will say to me, notice this, this is very somber, many will say to me, Jesus is saying there will be people in the day of the judgment who will say directly to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Jesus said there will be many who do this. This is in the context of false prophets. There are many who will claim that they have access. And they will also use, remember the part about false prophets claiming divine inspiration? He said they will, prophes they will say, Lord, we've prophesied, we've prophesied in your name. We have cast out devils. We've done many wonderful works. Almost as if Jesus is saying these people would stand almost demanding an entrance into heaven because of the works in which they had done. Lord, we've prophesied. Lord, we've cast out devils. We've done many wonderful works. We are certainly entitled to the kingdom of heaven. Now, the power of working miracles does not have a direct connection with being of God. One of the things that we fail to understand is that God throughout history, and I believe He still does as He chooses, God has given people the ability to do things that appear to be miraculous. But the appearance of a miracle does not mean a person is going to gain admittance into the kingdom of heaven. Now again, we know that in Jesus' day, there were active cases of people being raised from the dead, demons being cast out. We read about it. We talk about it. Even there were, even the sorcerers in the Old Testament were able to mimic miracles. 
And what Jesus is saying is just because you're doing these things does not mean that you can demand an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. In either one of these cases, Jesus connects the reality. It is not the miracle. It's not the power. It's not the preaching or the prophesying. It is the reality that God actually says, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. God could use a person for any means he sees fit. But understanding that a man may be found in the day of judgment, and I'm certainly there will be people in the day of judgment, maybe those magicians of Egypt we mentioned, those who were able to mimic the miracles that God was doing through Moses, there will be people who will be one of those many who stand and say, did not we perform those same miracles that your disciples performed? Did we not do the same thing? And yet notice Jesus' frightening words. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now these three verses by themselves have frightened believers to the core. And, and it, they, they have been a source of a lot of uncomfort or discomfort to believers because they begin to ask themselves the question, and, and I think falsely they begin to say, well, does this mean I'm not doing enough? Remember the context. The context here that Jesus has been dealing with is contextually the false prophet. Okay? So don't lose sight of the section that he's talking about here. He begins by saying, beware of false prophets. He identifies who they will be, how you will know them, how a good tree can't produce corrupt fruit, how a corrupt tree can't produce good fruit. Don't disconnect the context. And he says, not everyone. Not everyone who says these things will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Notice again, verse 22 talks about a specific day in which these words will be spoken. He says, in that day. He's speaking about the day, the day of judgment. The time when every pretender of faith, every false prophet, every false humility will be put to the fire and Jesus will profess unto them or will clearly say, plainly declare, I never knew you. What he's saying is, I never approved of the conduct in which you were living. Conduct is a result of doctrine. He's dealing primarily with the false prophets in the last day who try to claim admittance into the kingdom of heaven based upon the works that they did when they came in sheep's clothing, but underneath they were wolves. You see, what's going to happen, folks, is at the end of it all, when Judgment Day comes, there will be many, many people who were false prophets, false professors, who at that day, that moment, are going to try to gain admittance into the kingdom of heaven, and he's going to declare to them, I never knew you. Again, this, the reason this has frightened some professing believers is because they begin to get the idea that Jesus is saying, oh, if, unless you did this, 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 and this, 
Jesus is declaring about these false prophets, these are people I never approved of. They are people that I never set my love upon. And I never regarded you as being in the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 2.19 is one of those powerful texts that remind us that the Lord knows those who are His own. 2 Timothy 2, it's a great reminder here. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. The Lord knows those who are His. These false prophets, they don't, they're not His. They, he has not set His love upon them. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes as far as to say that they had never been true followers of Christ which connects back to the good tree and the evil tree. He is not talking about backsliders. He's not even talking about people who are just not walking with God. He's talking about people who were never one of His. I think it's very vitally important that we understand that principle. This isn't somebody who was in the faith and fell away. This is not somebody who fell from grace. These are people who were never in the family of God. Jesus is not going to say to the false prophet, and he, and he says it in our text, he, he's not going to say to them, oh, I once knew you, but now I don't. Oh, you were once a follower of me, but now you're not. No, Jesus says, I never knew you. Now, of course, he's not talking about his omniscience because, of course, he always, he knows all. But what he is saying is he's clearly declaring it is impossible. It is impossible for a believer, truly who is a believer in Jesus Christ and resting in Christ, to be one of these people who Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. You understand that? It's impossible for these to be people who are true believers He's clearly talking about people who were never, ever one of His. If Jesus had meant that, that's what He would have said. He's not talking about people who were once Christians and then fell away. He's not talking about people He once knew and then later rejected them. He's not talking about people that He once had forgiven and pardoned for their sin, but because of a few bad decisions that now He says, I never knew you. These are people who were never truly believers. They were never truly Christians. False prophets are not people who were once real believers, who suddenly are no longer believers, who now become false prophets. They've always been false prophets. They may have claimed at one time to have been a true believer, but in the eyes of God, they were a false prophet all along. Is it possible to even be in a place, to be in a church, 
where a false prophet is standing before you for years, for decades, and not know it. It is possible, but for believers, we should be able to identify false prophets. We should be able to identify them because of the doctrine in which they teach. We should know them by their fruit. Whatever these pretended false prophets had said, whatever they said they were, Jesus Christ never regarded them as his. He never once looked at them and said, you're one of mine and now you're not. He said, I never knew you. It is impossible if Christ knows you in a saving way, it is impossible for you to be one of these individuals that he says, depart from me, I never knew you. But there are people today who will claim at that judgment day, they will try to claim that they were his and that he belonged to them. This ought to settle the question and a, proof, a decided proof that Christians do not fall from grace. This is not about being in Christ and falling from grace. What it proves is whatever else they had is what they always had, and they never truly had Christ. In 1 John chapter number 2, John deals with this in a very direct and specific way. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 18. And of course, this is a beware section. Remember, we started tonight by saying, beware false prophets. Here's what John says in 1 John 2, verse 18. He says, little children... Now, think about this. If John said this in the time he penned this, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, here it is. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Right there it is. The liar, the false prophet, is the one that denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. He denies Christ, denies the Father, denies the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son... The same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. And then, of course, John goes on to write about abiding in Christ. It's almost like an interlude where he says, beware of Antichrist, but then I want you to remember, abide in him. He says in verse 25, and this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things, listen to this, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. That's the false prophets. Jesus clearly brings this 
part of the sermon to a conclusion that leads us, will lead us into next week about this final picture. And he uses an illustration of two houses. But what do we do by way of application tonight is we truly need to be reminded that we are called to judge and we are called to try the spirits to see if they be of God. If a person professes to be sent of God, then they must have fruits that give evidence of that. There are people who have very great speaking gifts. There are people who have very, very profound gifts of various ministries who are indeed false prophets. What they're intending to do is to devour souls. They are there to devour whoever they can devour. A wolf actually thirsts after the blood of sheep. It's not just, hmm, that looks good. It actually thirsts for it. Why? Because it understands, it's, it understands what it is and it understands what it is after. These false prophets are not doing this in ignorance. They're doing this with intent. Sheep's clothing tells us that they took an action to put on something to disguise their identity. False prophets will disguise their identity and they will come in sheep's clothing. But again, as Jesus said, underneath, they are really wolves. What are we supposed to do? We're to look beyond just the outward. We're to look beneath and, and see and spy out. Look for the wolves. A man is only what he is inwardly. Folks, listen, we have, we have all been around and we've probably all learned the right Christian cliches. We've learned the right Christian look. We know the right things to say. Do you think the false prophets know how to do that as well? Of course they do. You cannot just judge it by the outward appearance. Just like you can't just judge the tree, you judge the tree by the fruit it produces. Just because that tree looks like it's healthy and looks like, it's, it, looks like it, it is it's covered in green leaves, if it's not producing good fruit, then it's not a good tree. I think this is probably as timely in, our, in this time of history as it's ever been. False prophets have always been around, but yet they are just as much around today. We all need to beware. This is not just a job for pastors and elders and deacons. It's a, it's a role that we're all supposed to play. We should all beware of that which is false. Be careful about who leads our churches. Be careful about who appears to be right. Remember, they're coming to you and they'll come to us as prophets. They might even come highly recommended. They might even come in a way that would say it's impossible that that person is a false prophet. But yet, remember, they come in sheep's clothing. Second application tonight is that if you are simply just relying on nothing more than an outward creed or an outward profession of faith, do you really have saving faith in Christ? Notice the people that Jesus identified 
He said, they will say to me, Lord, Lord. Remember, when something's repeated in Scripture, it's something that is there to give an emphasis to. These people, these false prophets, even at the day of judgment, will be deceptive enough to think that they can call Jesus Christ Lord, Lord, and that He will somehow be deceived by that and will allow them entrance into the kingdom of heaven. They mentioned, what about the preaching? What about the prophesying we do? Folks, you realize tonight that no matter how many messages a preacher preaches, no matter how many times his preaching does not save him. Being a preacher doesn't gain him admittance. He might actually be successful. It's possible for a false prophet to build a big church. But yet, if we were to really look underneath, he's not what he appears to be. It's interesting that, again, when Jesus is identifying, he said, they prophesied in my name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. Imagine doing many wonderful works to man, but yet the Son of Man says, I don't know you. Jesus describes these people as doing things in thy name, yet the Lord says, I know nothing of you. Again, he does not say you were once part of the family of God and now you're not. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The Lord is so holy, so righteous, so perfect. I hope you see this, that he will not endure the presence of even the person who calls him Lord, Lord, who works iniquity. You realize the Bible says God is so holy that his eyes cannot behold evil. You realize that just stating Lord, Lord by a worker of iniquity is not enough to remain in the presence of God. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. How solemn of a reminder this is to us, and it ought to be a reminder to each one of us, that nothing proves us to truly be known by God but being in Christ we may be known as people who have these great gifts, these great powers, this great ability to do works. We may be a good preacher. But Jesus clearly says that if that person is not truly in me, if I do not truly know them, they were nothing more than an imposter who is intolerable in my presence. I cannot keep them in my presence. As we say every time we gather together, be very, very sure be very, very sure that you are in Christ. A repentance of your sin and a belief in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. We are saved by Christ, through Christ. It is Christ alone. But what a solemn reminder this is to even the false prophets of the day. Those who are claiming Christ and yet those solemn words that he says, depart from me, I never ever knew you. But I also want you to take heart as a believer tonight that if you are in Christ and you truly 
have claimed Christ and you've been converted, you've been redeemed, Christ died for you, you are not going to be one standing there who he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. But it is a stern warning to the false prophet. The false prophets will be dealt with eternally and it will be dealt with harshly. So I hope tonight we will understand the seriousness of this. And next week we'll look at Jesus' last example as he brings the Sermon on the Mount to a close. And we'll deal with the last verses of the chapter. Let's pray together and then we'll sing our closing hymn. Father, we thank you for this text. Lord, it is a sober reminder of the reality and the presence of false teachers and false prophets even all around us. But Lord, I do pray for the believer tonight that they would take comfort and assurance in knowing that if they belong to you, they will always belong to you. We claim the promises of your word that says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that we cannot be removed from your hand. But Lord, we are also reminded that there is a judgment day. There is a day coming. And as your word has declared to us that there will be many in that day who say, Lord, Lord. And yet in your holiness and your perfectness, you will have to declare and state to them plainly, depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to to identify the false prophet. Lord, that we would be bold and courageous in standing for that which is contrary to the doctrine of your word. Lord, to to tolerate a single corrupt doctrine uh, is inexcusable. Lord, we need to be on guard. Lord, give us the strength and the power of the Spirit to be able to discern and to learn from our Lord's words this evening. Father, we thank you, we praise you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's stand and conclude with a familiar hymn, 179. Tis so sweet to trust.